hello, welcome to uh, um, the first ever Live Philosophy podcast. It's nice to have you all here. I don't, I don't know how this works. Uh, I've never done one live before. This is normally a podcast I just do out the back of my house and I have a chat with somebody about, you know, I guess life and what life is all about. And uh, <laughs> this is the first day of the Yak Festival. Uh, here, this is a three-week festival uh, of like creative shows and interesting ideas, and they asked me if I would be involved in some way, and I didn't have any other fucking ideas. <laughs> so suddenly you're seeing this show live. It was never meant to be a live show. I normally say to the guests on the show, say whatever you want, and then like if you've said too much in the show, we can just cut it out. Like there's been a few times over the years. Uh, if you've not heard the uh, Osher Ginsberg podcast, um, uh, yeah, well, if you have heard it, the ghost is in pretty deep places, and fuck, you should hear the other 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things over the years that I've cut out, so here's what um, I need you guys to do here today. I guess to get the best out of our guests and to be able to go to the places that the podcast normally goes to, um, uh, then, uh, you know... This has to be a safe space, I guess, today. Uh, so if our guest says something up here that he later decides he doesn't want to put in the podcast, I'm going to cut it out. But you guys are going to know it. <laughs> so, shh. <laughs> We've got to make an agreement that you keep it to yourself, right? Okay, that seems like a good idea. Uh, nobody, uh, I, I haven't announced who the guest is. I'm very excited to have him here. It's a, uh, someone that I've always wanted to talk to about the meaning of life. It's um, a Stu from The Bachelor. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I've got some great questions, like, where the fuck's Sophie? And uh, <laughs> they're not together anymore. But I, uh, oh, I love how well, like, my philosophy crowd is also a fucking Bachelor crowd. So that's... That's given me a little insight to what's going on here. So um, uh, basically, uh, it's going to start. Um, I don't really know what's going to go on, but we're just going to have a conversation up here. I hope it's going to be really uh, fun and interesting for you guys. Um, by round of applause, I guess I just should find out uh, who has heard the normal podcast before. Clap your hands. And uh, by round of applause, who has never heard the podcast before? Okay, a lot of people who are just like, fuck it. <laughs> don't care, I don't have an iPod, but I want to see what this podcast is about. <laughs> I should explain to you guys what it's actually about then. You're like, does the podcast always just have you by yourself banging on about shit annoyingly at the start? Yes, yes it does. And ha ha ha, you can't skip through it live. <laughs> so you're fucking stuck. Anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, so, I have this podcast, I have a bunch of other podcasts, uh, so I have an original podcast called Tofot with my friend Charlie Clawson, and then that span off into another podcast called Fofot where I talk to comedians, and this guest today, he's been a, a guest on my Fofot uh, podcast before, uh, and then Charlie and I have an AFL football podcast called Two Guys, One Cup, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. if it's your first time on the internet, just be careful Googling that one, but, uh, put in AFL or you might get some very disturbing images. <laughs> and last but not least, there's this one. It's called Willosophy with Will Anderson. Um, I didn't want to put my name in the title of it, but I did it for a while, and then I stopped doing it for a while, and iTunes went, fuck you, you don't own the rights to your own podcast, so I had to change the name. So now it's called Willosophy with Will Anderson. And uh, basically, I interview uh, a person that I know 
about life. I ask them if they have a philosophy towards anything and then we just have a chat about you know, life. So I hope that you guys are gonna enjoy that. That's what you're in for today. Um, uh, here's how it's gonna start. So, uh, all right, so. <laughs> I'm making this up as I go along. <laughs> The first one, we're all in this together. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's what's going to happen. We'll play the intro music, I'll sit down, and then the guest will come out while the intro music is playing. So this will kind of be the start of the official podcast. He will sit down in this chair, you'll all cheer because it's the start of the podcast and also some of you will recognise who the person is and you'll cheer and some of you might not know who the person is yet but you will get to know them over the next four or five hours. And <laughs> you know it goes for four or five hours, right mate? And, uh, <laughs> Uh, and then uh, we will get on with the podcast. Uh, yeah, okay, so that's how it'll work. So I reckon uh, without any further ado, um, it's probably time that we can start this. So I'm going to sit down, we'll play the intro music, uh, my guests will walk out, you'll all cheer, uh, we'll uh, start the podcast. That, that, okay, hang on. You know what? Before we start, I'm just going to, because this will be a I was like, I'll, I'll just have wine. And then there was beer backstage. <laughs> Anyway, they will not be used by me, so let's just put those <laughs> over there. Uh, normally I'm doing this in the privacy of my own home, so I can hide from people. Well, not really, I can hide from... Anyway, I do these long intros, normally for the podcast, you're getting a little taste of it now. And normally I'm doing them late at night, and I've already had a few drinks, and when I've got on my own with a microphone, I can bang on. So... <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's get this uh, underway. Uh, I'm going to sit down, the music will play, uh, our guests will come out, we'll start the podcast. Welcome to the first ever live Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson and I am joined by a very special guest. I'm very excited to have him here at Giant Dwarf as part of the Yak Festival. My guest, who are you? Ronnie Chang. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Can I first say that you are a real inspiration for me in comedy and in hair? Thank you so much. I've been trying to get your hair stuff for a couple of years now. It took me a while to figure it out. Uh, I enjoy that you've started this live podcast with a visual reference. <laughs> yeah. Because it gives it a reason to exist. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's it. How does it, I mean, how, how are you feeling? You okay? Your health? You all good? <laughs> Ronnie's going to interview me for the yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've had a really bad back. That's why we're sitting in yeah. these kind of high chairs. No, I know. I mean, I would have a bad back too if I was supporting the entire Australian podcast industry <laughs> on my shoulders. How many? You got like five on just... Spinning off, they keep spinning off. Well, the next one will be the wine one. From all the wine we drank on Willosophy, we just start a wine podcast now. Well, you know what? I would start a weed podcast before a wine <laughs> podcast, yeah. but you're not allowed to smoke weed indoors at Giant Dwarf, so. so find a place, man. Oh, yeah. no, I've found a place. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's an abandoned children's park out there. <laughs> I, uh... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's nice to have you here, Ronnie. Thank you very much for coming along. I yeah, ask everybody on the podcast um, if they have a philosophy towards anything. Um, uh, do you? Is there one in particular that you, that you have? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's talk about shit. Let's get fired. 
this is a safe Who are we going to get fired from? From anything. Let's just say what we want to say. Let's let it all out. Today. Okay. Well, well what do you want to say? <laughs> say it. Well, I think uh, my, my, uh, it's, when you ask me that, it's so tough because I, I was trying to, my philosophy was I couldn't, I didn't want to, I don't know what my philosophy is because I'm, I felt like I'm 32. I'm still learning stuff. I shouldn't really be too fixed in anything. I realize that that's kind of a life philosophy. Then, that Mate, 32, you've got to know some stuff by 32. By oh. 32, Jesus was almost dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like I've, every time I look at something, I'm like, I have no idea how to do that. So I shouldn't be commenting on it. That's my life philosophy. If you don't know anything, shut up. It seems to be the life philosophy. Yeah. I mean, that is actually a pretty good philosophy. I've got to be honest with you. Yeah. Because sometimes, because uh, I, of course, we're friends on the World Wide Web, the internet, yes. uh, where you're often you know, hitting me up with uh, messages on Twitter and Facebook complaining about the fact that my website is shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm begging you to please let me fix your website. It's, the guy supporting the Australian podcast industry deserves a better website than what you have. It's like, I don't even know what's on it. I, I loved it. Ronnie, uh, for those of you who don't know, and we will get to it, of course, has uh, recently moved uh, to New York City to be part of The Daily Show. And yeah. uh, uh, when you first got there, you know, it's your brand new job, you're there in New York City, and then in the middle of the night, I just get this message from you going, can I fix your website? <laughs> I was fixing Anthony Morgan's website. That's why it went to you, because I was like, Anthony Morgan's website is bad. Let me see Wills. Oh man, Wills, come on. It's unacceptable. But also, when I moved there, I think this ties into the, what I was talking about. about uh, I'm always trying to learn more from other people than teach. I'm always trying to learn more. So when I, when I first, before I moved to America, I, I got in touch with you. I asked you to show me the ropes, remember? I, I'm, you, and you're very kindly, as he's very sincere and generous with his time, he invited me to his home in Sydney to come and talk about moving to America, and he told me to give up. Yeah. <laughs> I so there's no roles for Asians? Yeah. <laughs> he said, it's very tough. I've tried. I couldn't do it. I doubt you'll be able to do it. So, uh, no, he gave me a lot of good advice about dealing with agents and managers and, and lowering my expectations and, uh, and uh, uh, how to navigate that whole world. So it's really invaluable. Well, yeah. why don't we start there? Because that's a it's good a place to, sure. to start. We can wor work backwards. Sure. Moving to, uh, you know, you were, you were very much starting to establish yourself here in Australia as being like one of the leading sort of younger comics on the scene, you know, selling huge numbers live, you know, oh, doing yeah. a lot of work here. Yeah. And then suddenly The Daily Show comes along. Yeah. You know, the biggest... You know, news comedy show really in the world. The most prestigious news comedy show sure. in the world. You know, a legacy sure. show. Sure. And it means you have to move to New York City yeah. and you're thrown into the mix with a guy, Trevor Noah, yeah. going into a brand new job following someone who was like a beloved American sure. sort of icon in that job. So very hard for Trevor to be doing, yeah. but also very hard for the people that Trevor was going to take with him. Yeah. Coupled with the fact that you're suddenly moving to a place that you had not lived before. Yeah. So take us back to that moment and right. where your life was at then. Yeah, so uh, I was killing it in Australia, just fucking destroying everything. And then, <laughs> that no, was true. okay. I was doing okay. Australia was no. always, uh, has always been really good to me. You know, I started comedy here. That was actually why I gave him good advice about overseas. I was like, fuck off and leave me alone. <laughs> I got a good, great, uh, lots, lots of good shout outs from Will Anderson in the newspaper a lot, which helped a lot with uh, selling tickets. So uh, I was doing okay and um, I, I got the, the email to audition for The Daily Show. And we're kind of trained, I don't know about you, maybe not you, not you so much, but the rest of us male mortals are trained to get auditions and just go, yeah, we're never going to get it. And then we just dismiss it. So getting an audition wasn't a big deal. 
I, I got it, I was like, ah, it'll be fun, but you, you kind of, you know, you turn, you turn it down your head so you don't get And when, when you say the audition for this, how does like an audition for, because I can imagine people in this audience might go, well, for an actor, you get yeah. a scene from the show and you have to like, you know, learn that scene and you have to do that. But yeah. when you're auditioning for something to be a correspondent on The Daily Show, how, yeah. what form does that audition take? So they give you, they ask you to come up, write your own segment uh, and perform a segment they've done. And you submit that. Okay, yeah. so you're performing yeah. one that they've already done on the show. Yeah. Tell me about the other one. You have to write something of yeah. your own. Yeah. So this is interesting to me. What? What? Can you remember what topic you I wrote? I do. About? I I know, but you want let people see how the sausage is made. All right. Well. Ah uh, yes. Uh, this is what this is about. So what happened was, you know, you get the audition, and it's very rare for to get opportunity opportunities like that. So my my thing was, I'm gonna do something uh, I do in my stand-up show already, because I, I felt like if I did the best I could and I didn't get it, I could live with that. If I tried to be Will Anderson and make something up on the spot uh, and, and, and I don't get a job, I, I'll be very disappointed. So I, I went with something safe. I, I, I happened to have a joke in my hour at the time that was semi-political and I, about social media or something. And, I was just and you turned that into a piece? Into a, into a desk piece, me and Trevor. Where did you, when there. did you find out? Was there a process? Is it one of those ones where you audition and then there's another step in the process? Yeah, yeah. Then the next, after I submitted and the next step was, hey, can you do that again? So write a new one and then do another piece we did. So I did it in my, in my apart Melbourne apartment in, on my Mac, on the little uh, photo booth, like yelling into the little camera, <laughs> trying to trying to s make it look like a studio in the back, right? <laughs> With your like clothes hangers, like, and the, yeah. And uh, and so I submitted that, and then yeah, a couple of weeks later they told me I got the job. And I I, I I I was in Edinburgh at the time, which as you know can be a tough place mentally. Doing <laughs> uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, it's, a, it's the largest live performing arts festival on the planet. You know, about like five thousand shows going on. It's a real jungle. Uh, and I was in the middle of it, the, that, 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 that valley in the middle where you're just, oh, I need to, I, I want to go home. And then they told me that I got the show, uh, the Daily Show, which meant that I couldn't go home anymore. I had to go to New York to like a new city, but you know, it was a real thrill, obviously. And I, looking back, I, I, I asked Trevor, I suspected that Trevor had a hand in like shoving this through because he, no one wants this. Like this is the least desirable minority. To what do you mean by that? Asian men is the least desirable. No one wants Asian men on television. Yeah, not even Asian men want Asian men. On television. Yeah. <laughs> this is the least desirable. You know, like Asian women above us. Like everyone's above us. Asian men is like we. That's the least desirable <laughs> to have on TV. And he and Trevor's like, no, we're doing it. We're putting this guy on. So he stuck his neck up for me. And uh, I suspect he's like, I'm a black South African <laughs> in America. I need someone who's lower on the yeah. title pole than me. So, so, yeah, so uh, I'm that guy. And, then, uh, and I suspect that he put me on because I did a show with him. Actually, this goes back, and we can probably tie this into a philosophy of life. This goes back to Montreal uh, in 2013. So Montreal is, uh, well, you've talked about two festivals there. And because yeah. there's big, there's kind of big three uh, comedy festivals, and they're all kind of instrumental in both of our lives in a lot of ways, which is the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which I'm sure we'll get back to. There's the Edinburgh uh, Fringe Festival, which is a huge arts festival that has a huge comedy component to it. Yeah. Um, and then there's the Just for Last Festival right. in Montreal, which is right. more like a trade convention, trade convention that a comedy festival is sure. incidentally involved with. Sure, yeah. And, and the one thing I got out of that is that everything's a bubble, right? In life, we have our own bubbles, for better or for worse. So comedy, it's its own bubble, like for us, I, I, I remember talking to you about this when I first got invited to JFL, Just for Laughs, 
you get invite only. And so I was two, three years into comedy, I got invited. I was like, oh my God, this is the biggest deal ever. And you would keep going. You, you always went to JFL, even though you didn't need to. Well, you, you I mean, you know, like the big dream of JFL is you go to JFL and then someone discovers you and puts you on the Daily <laughs> Show. I've been ten times and no one's been. I'm like, I'm still yeah. here, and they're like, Yeah, no, we know. No, so thank you. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, so next have you got Ronnie's have. number? Can we get Ronnie's number on you? Yeah, thanks so much for the advice. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, you were hosting JFL. It was so so. Uh, everything's a bubble, right? And and um, I guess it helps to have some perspective on that. That. We, we put all these places on pedestals sometimes, the comedy seller, just for laughs, and it's, it's kind of important to like, not, I think as comics it's funny, like part of our job is to make fun of institutions, right, we make fun of it, and suddenly you do it long enough or you happen to go a certain way and suddenly you're part of an institution, that you, you're like, we started out to make fun of these guys, like, and suddenly we're part of this thing, we're trying to get jobs, we're compromising, yeah. whatever artistic It can technology. get you in trouble too, yeah. which I found out at the Logies one year. But I, uh, <laughs> I was like, fuck, I'm making fun of you all. Oh, fuck, I'm part of this. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, so uh, yeah. JFL happens. Uh, yeah, so I, I, was, I, I got to do a show with Trevor. I happened to be on the same show with him. Um, uh, it was Eddie Izzard's gala, um, and I did a 10-minute spot there. It went really well. Trevor really liked it. Um, he told me at the time, he was like, hey, I'd love to get you down to South Africa and do the comedy festival there. I was like, yeah, anytime. And then I didn't speak to him for three years. And he, never, he gave, never gave me his number, we never messaged at all. And then three years later, I just get this email from the production company. And I suspected it was him, otherwise how would they be looking over here in Australia, right? They, 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 they casted their net in America. You know the networks in America. It's, it's, it's so, um, there's so many people to choose from already. Um, so Trevor, and I, I, so basically I confirmed this Trevor about a year into the job. I was like, hey, did you put them onto me? He was like, yeah. Of course. You think they be? You think they want you without me saying okay? <laughs> You're the least desirable minority. Like, it's not for me. You owe me everything. I was like, okay, fair enough. I owe him everything. Yeah. Um, so you oh, did. And, and sorry, the philosophy from that is like, uh, yeah, we we. I'm I'm sorry. I, I I don't usually talk in in parables, but I feel like the this podcast demands it. Was like, oh. Um, you know, you don't know. You don't know where it's gonna lead. You just be ready. It's like Eminem vomiting spaghetti, right? You just gotta be ready. Yeah, you are ready. You wanna be over prepared for the moment where you can. You don't wanna just have ten minutes. You wanna have twenty or, or an hour, hopefully more than twenty. But you don't wanna just scrape by. You wanna be ready because you never know. You know, you never know where the opportunities come from. So I was just doing the show. I mean, it was a JFL gala. It was a big deal, but you don't know where it's gonna lead. But it, and and the payoff. The payoff was only two years later, three, two, three years later. So you don't know whether... Okay, so yeah. let's, let's concentrate on that idea for a minute sure. because I like that, the idea of you not knowing when it's going to pay off. You yeah. know, if you may be doing the thing at the moment that it leads to that next big thing, that yeah. next big break, but you might not find out that you're doing it until yeah. two or three years later. I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, when you first started doing comedy, did, where did you start doing it? And that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, I started doing it. I, my first show was at University of Melbourne. Uh, we did a campus comedy competition, just trying to be silly. And then my second, my, my second gig, which is kind of like my first gig in the public, was at uh, Kaz, Kaz Rytop's Dirty Secrets on Wednesdays on Smith Street in Melbourne. Yeah, you go down there and, you know, and then you get caught in this weird addiction of like trying to jump on stage and make people laugh. So how did you, yeah. though, because you're, you were at university, Melbourne University, yeah. you're studying, uh, what was law, it? Law and commerce. Law and commerce, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, smart guy at university, you know. Good looking. Good yeah. looking. Yeah. 
least des desirable it's minority for television. Yeah. It's a contradiction <laughs> we worked out, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good looking, least desirable. Yeah. Uh, so, comedy seems to me, for a guy who is as competent and driven and the background that you have, seems to me like something that is still a bit of a dog leg or left term. What sure. was it that made you interested or made yeah. you think that you were a person who was going to do comedy? Yeah, this is a great, I mean, it leads me to something else I discovered when I was in New York was that, um, so there was something I, I thought I could do it. If something I thought I could do, I just wanted to confirm that suspicion. And it was never intended to go past that first show. It was just like, oh, yeah, I did it. And then we can carry on with our lives. And then it just became this weird obsession, as you know. The, the drug of trying to write that better bit, write that better joke. Um, and I had a moment in New York, in New York City where um, uh, I was performing at the Comedy Cellar. I just got passed at the Comedy Cellar, which is another bubble, another institution um, uh, that we kind of put on a pedestal. Uh, and I got passed there and I was performing there. The first time I performed there, and I just had this moment, which I, I've only had like maybe two, twice in my life of like, it very, I was very much in the present, just doing the jokes and like, oh yeah, this is great. I'm loving it. I don't even care what happens next. Like this is, you know, we know there was no more worries, no more. You won't worry about the future or the past. Yeah, that's it. So I guess everyone trying to find that thing that you love doing, that samurai mentality, right? Of like, just do it because you like doing it, right? Like it doesn't even matter about the what, how you're gonna monetize this, or you just love doing it. Just go and do it. You know, that passion is so hard to find. Like I saw that McLaren documentary. Do you see that one about Bruce McLaren? Uh, about the New Zealand F1 driver. It made me love F1, made me love cars, made me love New Zealanders, white guys. That documentary is just a great <laughs> program. Because there was this guy, he just, he was this New Zealand guy who, he, he had a physical deformity, one leg longer than the other, and he was bedridden for months, I think, and then he just loved racing cars. His dad was a mechanic, and he was racing cars, and he's 17 years old, was racing cars, and got picked up by an F1 team and then won the F1 championship at 21. These guys literally risking their lives every week just because they just love doing it. You know, they just the passion of it. You could tell in how he... Yeah, did, but yeah. technically it's almost cheating driving around in circles when one leg is longer than the other. <laughs> I mean, you've been walking around in circles all your life. You've got a natural affinity to fucking circles. Sure. Gee. Okay, that's true. But Probably still. easier to fucking do the clutch. Like, there's a lot of... That's cheating. Take back his fucking championships, that's what I say. Yes, nothing means anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, overcoming the odds. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And so I guess the point of, uh, sorry, to answer your question of what made you do comedy is, I don't know, this weird thing you want to do and you have to get into that. I don't want to get racial with this stuff. I don't know, I, I, I'm not white, so I don't know if it's different for white people. I think Asian people, it's tough to find that thing that you can do without worrying about the future and how to monetize it. I think we all face that to some extent. I don't, get, I don't think it's a race thing, but. Oh, uh, uh, there seems to at least be stereotypically sure. a race element to that. Sure. I mean. You said it, not me, so. <laughs> you led me into it. Was this a trap? <laughs> Have you trapped me with your fucking daily show skills? Uh, Do the whole interview. I think I've gone fine, then you edit it, and yeah, I'm yeah, a racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know how the daily show works. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> no, it's one of those things where I, there, at least there is culturally in for white people where kind of that the idea of the tiger mum or that idea sure. that like for some reason this you know Asian families coming to this country and you know forcing their you know, yeah. kids into working harder than the rest of the kids and all this so it's the stereotype even sure. if it isn't the reality. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so there was that. I mean, in my show now that we're on the tiger mom thing in my TV show, Rancho International Student. I mean, I had. Uh, my mom 
like that, a tiger mom. But one thing I wanted to show in the TV show, which I hope I portrayed correctly, was the other side of that coin. That there's a lot of, it's very, your parents can be very demanding and um, very strict, but there's also a lot of love that comes with that. And I think that's the stereotype that we don't usually see. I mean, yes, it's a stereotype. Asian moms are very demanding on their kids or whatever, but you never see the love in it, which I try to portray in the TV. Uh, how much do you think, and because you are a person that, uh, it's certainly in your approach to comedy, there are some people who get into comedy uh, because, let's be honest, that they don't really like to work. <laughs> and it's quite an easy way to make money without working that hard, do you know no, what I mean? Maybe for you, but for the rest of us are working very hard to try to, try to get jokes out, man. You no, but I mean, there is an element of some people who get into comedy because they like the lifestyle of comedy. Whereas there's oh. some people who I think if you're giving up something else, or if you have something, you, you work hard at comedy in a way. Like, sure. the approach that I've had to comedy, because I know that I've never been, you know, the funniest person in the room, but I... Like knew that if I you know how many people hard, are here to see you, so I don't know what you mean, man. No, no, no. They, they all came for the mystery guests. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of implied it was Russell Crowe, so. <laughs> but I. Uh, <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll he'll be out in a minute, guys. It'll be fine. Uh, no, I, I knew that I wanted to work hard at it. Like you know, that, um, that my approach would be that I'm going to work as hard at this as I would at anything else that I would do to try sure. to make it work. And I wonder if the fact that you have other options means that your approach to comedy, when you come into it, you don't take it for granted. You throw yourself into it. A bit. Maybe. I mean, I, always, I actually had one foot out the door the whole time I was doing comedy until I got The Daily Show. I was always like, ah, oh, I think it's time to quit now. I think it's... And what were, you, what were you imagining? By the way, I think about quitting every day, but <laughs> I've now been doing this long enough that I'm not qualified for anything else. <laughs> I have an imaginary radio right. show. And I... <laughs> So you, you think about quitting every day? That's oh, crazy. every day. Really? Every day. That's crazy. Man, like I think about, like when I'm on planes and there's turbulence, I fucking pray that the plane crashes every fucking time. Did you, did you because I'm so busy, I'm like, it'd just be a relief. Did you say that out loud? Is that how you got arrested? <laughs> did you go, I'm so fucking tired of life. And everything, if this thing goes down, I swear to God, it'll be easy on all of us. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm going to you know what, the gruen? <laughs> you know, the funny thing about that was, I was next to this woman on the plane the other day, and um, uh, she was 84 years old, and it was the first time that she'd flown in like 30 years or something. Oh, and she was really nervous, and she had one of those old school, like, brick phones. She started smoking as well, because she didn't realise well, the laws changed. Well, basically, she said to me, she goes, I've never turned my phone off. She didn't know how to turn it off, <laughs> and she didn't have the passcode to turn, if she turned it off, to get it back on. And she's like, do you think that, like, the plane will crash if I don't turn it off? And I'm like, just put it in your bag. And she goes, I should tell them. I said, don't tell them, just put it in your bag. And she's like, are you serious? And I'm like, trust me, it's fine. Like, and then up, we chatted for the whole two hours. And then afterwards, she's like, I'm going to Google you. And then I realised the first thing that will come up. It's like, why the fuck was I taking advice from that guy? It's an airline criminal. <laughs> Unsuccessful attempt to get us all killed. <laughs> As we were playing. Uh, uh, so, uh, when you say foot out the door, yeah. I mean, we all have, I, I mean, I, I make gigs sometimes, think about, like, <laughs> yeah, halfway through a joke, <laughs> I'm like, well, this is it, I knew the day was coming, uh, 
I guess this is it. It's all yeah, live. But I think I think the thing is what like and that goes back to the reason why you're doing it, right? So what I've noticed is um because if you if you're doing stand I this, I know stand up comedy it's a it's a bubble so I'm not uh, it's the only thing I can speak expertly about so uh, we're gonna talk about the world as well okay. but like people are used to us talking about stand up comedy yeah, on this know, because it's I, what I talk about sure but I, I don't want to make it sound like I think it's the be all and end all but in comedy if you do it to get famous or to get rich it's like if that's your motivation I don't know if you can ever get rich or famous enough to you know, satisfy. Or that. to make it worth it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, there's yeah. got to be a bit of it. Well, I believe, and I'm sure yeah. it's different for every person, yeah. but I do think there is something about if we're being completely honest with ourselves, if you really love comedy and you yeah. give yourself over to it, yeah. what you're actually saying is, I want to pursue something forever that I know that I can never truly master. Sure. Like, I am willing to be a surfer, right? Yeah. You'll have that day where you catch those perfect waves, yeah. but the next day that same wave's going to fucking dump you in the middle of the ocean. There's, you've signed up to the idea of trying to continually master something yeah. that at its very heart can't be mastered. Because even if you get those jokes perfectly, say you're going to record your special, right? And you get the jokes exactly where you want to get them, and on that night you have the audience exactly where you want them. If you went away for five years and let people move on and then came back and tried to do those exact same set of jokes, they wouldn't work in the same way, right? It's a living, it's a living art, yeah. It's, it's a like living Jiro, art. It's I mean, like Jiro, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. You guys yeah. know that documentary, that guy pursuing the perfect sushi and never achieving it. Yeah, so that's crazy. Do you know that documentary? No. Jiro Dreams of Sushi. It's, yeah, everyone, you, yeah, you guys know? Yeah. Everyone oh, yeah, it. okay. Fucking inner city red phone crowd. <laughs> I'm a bloody white Australian and my only documentary is Barry Dreams of Pies. Like, that's like There must be a pie maker who, uh, who goes through that with the same intensity, right? Yeah, I guess yeah. there would be. So what is your approach now? <laughs> what is your approach now to comedy? Like, oh, now, your, yeah. now it's like nothing matters. You can never be famous enough. You can never be rich enough. So just do it for the fun, right? Try to do as many projects that don't compromise your integrity <laughs> as you can and then hopefully one day you can die happy. That's really, that's really what life is about. Just trying to not compromise yourself too much and uh, die. That's not Ronnie's fault that we've got to death so early. Literally 20 minutes ago, backstage, I was talking about how I thought I was probably going to die soon and I hoped it was quick. <laughs> and then Ronnie reminded me if I could survive a year, I'd win some awards. So I... <laughs> you can, if you can do a show about it, yeah. Yeah, you can, you critically will. And, um... Oh my god, you're a yeah, genius. Terminally will, last will and testament. I actually need you're not even trying. You're not even trying. That's I've lost so the will to live. There's so many of them. It's like... <laughs> you're, you're not even trying. It's ridiculous. Uh, so... You're doing shows here in Australia. In fact, I'm so grateful that you came and did this today because yeah, tonight you. is the first night that you're pretty much you know doing this show in front of like a like a theater full of people yeah right? sure yeah uh, i was i was working out in america um and that's the other thing uh, we talking uh, i mean this goes back to um uh doing something you like doing not for the tangible benefits and it's easier to say when you start making money from it obviously but but like this show that i've worked on that i'm about to do at the mo theater uh, I was working in New York every night, you know, two, three times a night I would, I would get spots in New York. Uh, I would do my one hour, like every two days I would do the hour in, in, in a small theater and just to try it out. And that, to do that, work a full-time job and then at night do that 
with a wife where I just got married as well. Like, it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. If you're looking for money or fame, it's the, it's, it's the easiest thing to not do. So we're, the only reason we're doing it is because of some weird obsession of like, yeah, I gotta get this next joke, please. Please, let this joke work. Right? It's just that. <laughs> That thing in your head. So how do you put together like a new show in that regard? Like I, I'm always fascinated in the craft of it. Do you start collecting things bit by bit? Do you have an overall You're philosophy? Me. You're the master class on this, man. We go to you to ask you this. Well, I, I mean, I already know what I think. Yeah, but so I know. No point me getting here and interviewing myself for this fucking podcast. No, it's not. It's like I know there's a theatre full of people who are fans of you, but you don't understand. This guy has done like what 25. One hour shows? How many have you done? Uh, How old are you? You're like 60 now, right? Like what? what? <laughs> 25? Is that what? 30? You've done like 30. Dude, this guy. <laughs> Hall of Fame. This is Hall of Fame level. It uh, doesn't make any sense. How do you do every year? Like, I'm just like, how do you. How do you do it? How, I'm asking you, how do you, you're asking me how I do it? Yeah. I look at you and I go, how do you do it? That's well, okay, but I know how I do it. I want to know how you do it. All right. If you want to know how I do it, start your own fucking podcast. <laughs> You can spin off anything. Is there anything you can't sell out? Is the question. Anything, any spin off that you are unable to sell? It's what? I mean, don't overstate my appeal. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, how do I do it? I just get really scared and then I, I go, like, oh shit, people are paying money to watch me now. And then I have to. But who, okay, so I'll ask you some other questions and perhaps that we can get to it instead. Who do you like? Who do you watch? Who is it that, like, you know, kind of who influences you? If you want to look to somebody and say, oh, you know, this is the person who's the like, career I want or perspective yeah. I like or that, you know, enthuses me right? as a comedian. Everybody, who? right? Will's great. I think Tom Gleason's great. Dave Hughes. I'm going to miss a name and everyone's going to be like, oh, you're dissing him. It's like, no, I just don't. Dave, Dave Chappelle. These guys all have different skill sets. You know, Bill Burr, um, what's it, Todd Berry. All these guys are doing it a long time. Right? All right. Okay. I'll ask you a different question. I'm gonna, I want to get to this. Um, what? Okay. Well, if you could take a skill, like, because all of us, uh, well, I feel, from my point of view, that we're all working on getting better and better and better. You try to get one part of what you do right, yeah. and then you try to get other parts of what you do right. And maybe over a lifetime, you can yeah. get a lot of them right at the same time. Yeah. But what would you like to take? What skills would you love that you could take from other comedians that you feel like you don't have at oh, the moment? I can't, do, I can't do special effects. I can't do accents. I can't do the... Great, it's great, mate. It's I get, great. I get, I'm really good at all those things. So, uh, yeah, I can't. Uh, no one can make it to the chopper. Was that, that me? Was, that was a helicopter and... <coughs> oh, that was me. Yeah. That was you. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, doing a Ronnie impression. Yeah, so, Getting to a broken helicopter. Yeah, I love to be able to be quick on my feet. I'm not that quick. It takes me a long time. It takes me like a week. After, a week after this podcast, I'll be like, fuck, I had great jokes. Come up with a great title for Will's Dying Show. I can't even come up with that on the spot, yeah. That would be great if we came back in two weeks and I asked the same questions, yeah. but you had better answers. Be better answers, yeah. <laughs> I can't do that, yeah. I'm, I'm actually very limited. I can't do accents. I can't do, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at talking to people in a crowd. I'm always like, hey, how are you doing? You good? What made you come here tonight? Great. That's, that's <laughs> It's dumb. It's so dumb. Uh, I can't, you know, I'm not good at, uh, I'm not good at, uh, Paul. I, can't, I can't connect thoughts. <laughs> I'm really bad at, I'm really bad at my job. It's really what I'm 
You just made me realize I'm bad at my job. No, well, he, but here's what I would say. I can't do accents. I can't do voices. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have the capacity to write one-liners. Like, the, the point is that we yeah. kind of ex think that to be a comedian or to be anything, yeah. that you need to have all the range of skills that yeah. that job has. Whereas in most things, that, that, that idea that you would have every single skill. That, it's, that, that's like saying that a cricketer or a baseballer or whatever the example could be has to be able to bowl and bat and wicket keep. And you, you don't necessarily have to be able to do them sure, all sure. to make it work. As I've proven, I have no skills I managed to make it work. But right. one, thing, one thing I learned from The Daily Show about, about comedy writing. Okay, first of all, I think I've, I've, I've gotten better at it, hopefully, the last two years since I've moved to America. Um, I think the... Uh, one thing The Daily Show, well, I think my comedy has matured. I think I've matured as a person a little bit. So one thing at the show we always talk about is what you're trying to say, what you're trying to say. And so I'm starting with that now with a lot of my comedy. is like, what are you trying to say of this? Are you trying to say that the environment is in trouble? We should be doing better to help it. You know, we, we're trying to say that, that um, Asian, Asian men should be more desirable than they are. Like, what are you trying to say with every joke you're doing? So I think that's a good place to start. Like, what are you trying to say with it? As opposed to just, when I first started out, it was like, just laugh, please laugh! And now it's like, all right, what's the, what are we trying to do here? <laughs> a bit more sophistication. So, how do you then decide what it is that you want to say? Because that's when comedy gets most interesting to me, is yeah. this idea of, you know, authentically connecting with somebody and trying to be completely honest about yeah. who you are and what it is that you want to say to people. Yeah. How do you then come up with what that is? Yeah, I mean, that's another thing I, I realized. Doing the TV show, um, Oh, again, I got to plug it. We're in Chan International Student. We were doing a show about international students in Australia. And when, when I first pitched the idea, there was an argument made from someone that it wouldn't be very relatable because it's international students, you know. But um, in, in Australia, like, who can relate to that other than international students? But I, I mean, and the people who've been to university oh, with right. international students. That's what I. That's and what I people who understand what a student <laughs> is and <laughs> what someone from overseas is. Exactly. So this will not appeal to people <laughs> who don't understand things. No, fair enough. But they're not our key demo, so they don't understand how to turn their tally on. So yeah. <laughs> that's true. They're literally trying to turn the fireplace on with yeah. their shoe. So, <laughs> so so that's exactly it. And one thing I realized doing the show, which I suspected before we wrote it, and at, after doing the show, it, it kind of cemented it. And I, 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 I believe more, more than ever now that like authenticity resonates in storytelling. And I think in life, you know, authenticity resonates with people. If, even if you have an unrelatable um, story that you're telling, the, the fact that you're, it's, you, the authenticity will make people get behind you. Like who, who, who can relate to a math, a science teacher making math? You know, but we all get behind the story because you know there's something about it resonates the, the emotions in it. So right, um, you know the, the the truth at the heart of it. You know, some, yeah. the desperation of somebody who's reached rock bottom, or the yeah. idea that your skills could be used for something other than like I'm often a little bit concerned about the fact that you know, and bless you, thank you so much for literally coming out too. I was like, hey, I'm going to do a live version of something that you can consume for free, and I'm not going to tell you who the guest is, and you all fucking came and paid money for that. Yeah. And sometimes I think, fuck, I could really abuse that. <laughs> like, if I wanted to start a cult, we could fucking do it. But <laughs> that's what I've been saying. That's what I've been saying the whole time. It's, this is ridiculous that you can spin off two podcasts and then there's people, still people showing up. But the point being that you've got to connect with that authentic moment of understanding. I, I mean, I loved your show, but it must be hard 
creating something, I think, from scratch about a unique experience, particularly here in Australia. What, what, t talk us about what the experience of making that show was like. Yeah, I learned a lot making a, I've never done anything like that, to write a seven episode TV show. I've never written a script before that time. Um, and to tell the story. Um, when you're about to do something yeah. that you've never done before, yeah. you know, to put it, for everyone's example, yeah. what A, gave you the courage that you go, well, I can do this thing that I've never done before? And B, what did you do to learn how to do it? Yeah, I mean, for, first was, uh, this might not apply for other situations, but it was like, I felt that, I felt very strongly that this was a story that needed to be told. So I don't know if that translates to any other walk of life, but, but um, I felt like, International students have been coming to Australia for generations, since the 50s, you know, but we have um, people in Malaysia and Singapore and all around Asia who went, came to Australia to study, then went back, had kids, sent their kids here, came back, you know, it's generational, it's a multi-billion dollar industry in Australia. And all these, all these people have come through and it's so much a part of the Australian story, was what was, uh, I felt was that the international student story is the Australian story. We've been coming here for generations. And, and I just felt it was something that I really wanted to uh, show people about, that you know, people can come fresh off the boat and still be sophisticated people. You know? um, and so uh, that was what made me try to do it, even though I've never done it before. Because I was like, if, if I don't do it, I don't know who else will be in a position to, 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 to tell the story. So I, Is there ever any pressure, and I guess when you were starting doing comedy, because here's yeah. the thing that often happens, right, which is this idea that uh, we are accepting of others, you know, whatever the other happens to be, yeah. as long as the other conforms to the stereotype that we kind of already perceive of the other. Sure. And certainly in comedy, Comedy was very open to like going, oh yeah, you know, you can be from anywhere as long as all your jokes are about the fact <coughs> that you're from there or you sure. are that thing. You know, like, yeah, you know, gay comics had it at the start as well. You can be a gay comic, but you had to talk almost exclusively about being gay. Yeah, and the same, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, it was the same with like people from, you had overseas experiences. You, it was almost a demand to constantly talk about those things. Yeah. Was that the case when you started still? Yeah, I mean, when I started, I feel so, Feels so old saying that when I started, it wasn't that long ago. I started two thousand nine. Uh, it was uh, um, no, it was just my it was my own lack of knowing what comedy was, and so I was just doing what I saw was popular, which was Russell Peters at the time. Everyone was like Russell Peters. It was like everyone was forming Russell Peters tribute bands. Right. Everyone was doing the jokes in the. I was walking down the corridors of my university, white guys literally going verbatim Russell Peter routines, you know, and it was so. Um, you know, I was I, I thought that that was how I was supposed to do comedy. So you do it that way. Uh, you talk about personal experiences, and then slowly you, you learn more about it, and you, you hopefully get better at it, and you start talking about topics which no one else has talked about, right? Which is the goal to say to do to create stuff no one has created yet. Even though everything's derivative, I know, but we try, right? We try our best. Um, uh, so to to answer your question, uh, it was like that at the start, but that was a me thing. That wasn't a society pressure. I've never done a gig in Australia where I went on stage and I felt everyone was gonna be sh terrible to me because I was Asian. Like, I've never done that before. It, you I've haven't never, toured a lot of North Queensland? <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have. I've done all around Australia. I went to Darwin. I, I was very lucky to do the road show. I, I toured all around Australia, like, twice. I, I, you know, up East Coast, West Coast, um, uh, 
What's so the other okay, cause? so tell me about, but I like that. So tell me about that. So if you are not feeling that, yeah. because so much of what we see in the news and the media, and I certainly, I'm, I'm not asking you to speak for all people who've had yeah. You, yeah, your experience. All Asians, yeah. yeah. On behalf of all Asians, could you please answer me this? No, I am. Uh, we come in peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how much is my house worth? <laughs> I can get you a deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but tell me about because we hear so much in the media here about the xenophobia of Australia, and I know right. that it can, it must be a real thing because. Right. You know, you, you must know that it exists, but just tell me about your experience. Yeah, my own personal experience is weird because I've been lucky or unlucky to... I've lived in countries where I'm the majority, I've lived in countries where I'm the minority. I spent equal time in both, so um, when, I, when I came to Australia, it was like... It, and even when I, come to, when I went to America, it was like, this place is great, it's way better than where I'm from, so there's nothing... Like, you have to go really extreme to make me go, fuck this place, because I've seen... Where I'm from, I'm like, I'm here because it's better than where I'm from. So, you know, you can, I, I've, uh, I can ask my wife, man. People have spit in my face. I've had, um, on Australia Day, it gets really bad in Melbourne City. But I'm still like, that, I'm still okay with that. Like, still better than where I, 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 I came from. So, I, I, I never had that chip on my shoulder. When I came here, I was never like, fuck, fuck this place, man. I have to do comedy for a living. Fuck. <laughs> place that supports the arts. Fuck that. <laughs> Where you can say whatever you want and the government's not gonna come after you, fuck. <laughs> you know, so I never had that. I don't know. That's just my and then it's weird to say that because then you sound like a right wing dude. If, you, if you're not angry at the government, you're right wing, right? So um, yeah, but that's that's my that's my attitude towards. So I never went into I never went to country towns going, these people are gonna hate me. <laughs> I just went in just going, well, I hope they like this, and then it's like, oh, they usually you usually worked out, and I was like, oh, we all survived that 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 first contact. <laughs> of uh, jokes and laughter. I was like, oh, fucking it worked. Thank God it worked. And then you leave and never see them again. Thank so God. what's... <laughs> what's the power of jokes and humour when it comes to that, though? I mean, I'm sure this is a question you get asked a lot. And yeah. some people, I think, think that comedy lives in this, like, you know... Like, here's the thing I know about comedy is that it perhaps can help people. I don't think it changes people's minds. That's a great question to ask. That's the next thing we should talk about. Right. Whether okay. It, whether well, it changes you, mind. But so you do. You, okay. you go first. Sorry. No, here's what my question was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie, do you think comedy changes people's minds? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, what were you going to say initially? Okay. Well, uh, we can talk about this yeah. though because it's a thing that you get asked a lot as a comedian, right? Yeah. Is this idea of like, do you do comedy hoping that you can change someone's mind? And firstly, no, no. because. I, I, I don't think that I know enough of I, I'm trying to work out what I think about the world and I, I get it wrong a lot of the time just about me so I don't have the arrogance to think that what's right for me or works for right. me would work for anybody else right. but the second thing is I've been talking about marriage equality I know this my first ever joke about routine about marriage equality was in a show 19 years ago and I talked about it every single year for the next 14 years after that and then the only reason I stopped was... Man, you're old. 
I did it for 15 years fucking straight. It changed nothing. We're still having this stupid fucking vote all these years later. I haven't even done a marriage equality bit for four years because everywhere else I tour in the world already has it. So that bit doesn't work. So fuck Australia. I'm not writing a bit just for here. So I was getting to fucking Canada and going, what about gay marriage? They're like, yeah, we've had it for a decade. It's fine. And I... <laughs> Dogs might get married. They're like, nah, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. They all died unmarried. That's fine. They didn't want to marry us. Right. But I guess you've also got to hope that perhaps you can open... If, there's, if someone's at two doors and they're trying to choose between the two doors, right. you can sometimes at least just point them in the direction of the other door. But no. maybe that's... It. No? No. no. <laughs> all right, well, tell you, me what you yeah. think. Yeah, I don't think it changes anyone's mind. I think you come in, you preach to a choir, and then they all laugh, and then we all go home. Nothing changes. I mean, this Donald Trump thing proves that, right? It's a bubble. It's a bubble. You, we all were like, there's no way. Man, there's a bubble. So, um, no, nothing matters, and everything is terrible. <laughs> it's really, uh, yeah, the philosophy of uh, this podcast. No, I don't think it changed. I mean, dude, I mean, have you ever changed? There was, that's, by the way, that's one of the bits I love when it's just me and the guests, but you guys fucking backed off that shit. <laughs> Does it? Does it change someone's mind? Has anyone watched a decimation on Facebook where someone decimates racism and gone, yeah, you know what? No, yeah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. You see it every single day. Yeah. Watch this comedian destroy Trump, and you oh, turn it's, in, oh, it's over? And, then, and then you're like, oh no, hang on, Trump's still president. Right. No, I get it. So, but so. here's what I would say is, perhaps maybe you're a sort of person who has an idea about something, and your friends don't have the same idea about that, and in your own head you can't quite put together the words, but you've got the feeling. You know that perhaps we're being unfairly cruel to mm. refugees, but until you went and saw Tom Ballard's show, you didn't quite understand exactly that you, you have now some facts and statistics and whatever that you can right. bring to that conversation yes. at lunch. I don't think you can convince that person to believe something they didn't believe, uh -huh. but perhaps if they already believe it, you can furnish them with some arguments and ideas that they can then use or at least go, well, ah, oh, it's not just my mates at work who disagree with me this this dude Tom Ballard off the telly he yeah. seems like white, a smart white guy savior, Tom Ballard yep I guess yeah. um, I love Tom by the way that wasn't him I'm, I'm good friends with him I give him crap all the time uh, he yeah no okay fine look if you want to have the hopeful we should all be hopeful as humans right then yeah hopefully people can change their minds when presented with uh, alternative situations and facts uh, I think comedy it's hard though because you're usually making fun of people and so like one of the things that the show was like, one of the first pieces was like, don't call it, don't call someone racist, call them uh, racially biased. Because if you call someone racist, it shuts down the conversation. If you say biased, it helps. So the same thing with comedy, it's like, you know, uh, the real way to get Trump voters to not vote for Trump is to talk to them and see what they want, right? Not make fun right. of them for being idiots. Because you're not going to change anyone's mind. But how many people, like everyone says we don't want Trump. How much do you not want him? Do you, want, do you not want him enough to go speak to his supporters? Because that's what you got to do to do it. Not, not watch, you know, uh, John Oliver on, on, on Facebook newsfeed and, and be like, yeah, we won. And then, which by the way, I also love John Oliver. I spoke to him <laughs> when I first got a job. We can talk about that later. But, oh, well, let's talk about it now. Oh, okay, cool. yeah, that's but good. I don't know. We didn't resolve anything there, which is kind of like life, right? We can't. Uh, I don't think anyone came to this fucking really podcast going, they'll probably fix racism. <laughs> I'm not sure who the guest is, but I reckon we'll fix racism. Yeah. He told me, uh, we, we probably, if we were structuring the show, I would put this segment earlier because when I first got the job on The Daily Show. Okay, I, you're not. It's my fucking okay, podcast. Okay. 
It happens how it happens. It's a natural, organic, flowing, interesting conversation <laughs> where interesting things just pop up. Sure. Anyway, John Oliver. You want some more wine there? Oh, you... Well, now you're judging my drinking, are you, Ronnie? <laughs> um, so when when I... you've done this another fucking decade. <laughs> Is this my future? And the Daily oh, Show has fallen apart and you're back at Giant Dwarf angrily hosting a podcast with someone fucking 10 years younger than you. Who... 20, 20 years younger. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> Bloody Asians come to this country taking my job. I, uh... Bloody Asians going to America to take the job I wanted. I'm a Trump voter. Get him out. Get Ronnie out. Close the borders. <laughs> uh, yeah, the my, John Oliver. Yeah, so this, John go, Oliver. this goes to my idea that I don't know anything, and so I was trying to look for people to get advice from. One of them was Will Anderson, and he, you know, you, we know where that went. So then we, <laughs> I, I was looking for the other correspondent, non-American correspondent on the Daily Show, the only person who could give me advice, which was uh, John Oliver. So. I, and it's a very tight-knit family. They all, it's like this extended family of John Stewart people and all that. So um, I, they put me in touch with John Oliver. He replied, personal email, everything. Like, hey, meet me at 8 a.m. in my office, around the corner from where our offices were. So we went out, sat down with him, and he was you know, so generous with his time, just like everyone I've ever spoke to about comedy has always been very sincere with that advice and generous with that time. And he told me it took him two years to learn how to do comedy in America. Because it, he said it took him two years to learn their perspective so he could make fun of it. And that's something I learned in America as well. And he was spot on, by the way. It was exactly two years. Because you, I think, and this is interesting to speak to you about, because you have a good perspective on this. I think if you're not American and you go there, you can do jokes. You can, you can kill for five minutes. You can kill for 10 minutes. You could probably even kill for 45 an hour. But then if you, if you stay there for too long, you'll, 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 you kill as the novelty act. You're like, the, oh, he's the foreigner coming to make observations, and you can kill. But then if you live there for six, eight months, it becomes like, oh, he, he's, this isn't real anymore. It, the authenticity isn't there anymore because you've lived there long enough to know that, yeah, there's 50 different types of Coca-Colas. So what, you know? So in order to make, <laughs> yeah, in order yeah, to- Yeah, you've <laughs> gotta be like, this guy's been here eight years. He cannot be as offended by the Outback Steakhouse as he's <laughs> pretending to be. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, and so when you spend that much time there, you, you have to learn how to make fun of them, but no understanding their actual perspective, and that takes time to learn. So I, I think in Australia it worked out for me because I lived here for 10 years, and so I know I can make fun of, as maybe sometimes I do the hacky outsider joke, but hopefully it's with understanding of the perspective of the Australian. Same in America, understanding actual Americans' perspective. That way when you make fun of it, they know. They know you're coming from a, you're speaking accurately. Like, I mean, I think that's one of the things that John Oliver does so wonderfully well, right. is that he speaks both as an outsider and an insider. It's why right. his show works in a way that, you know, shows like that couldn't work, sure. because he manages to be you know, offended as an American, but also has the outside sort perspective. of like, you know, the perspective. Yeah. Um, on The Daily Show, because it must be a very fascinating thing to be, because you are, you know, speaking to a divided America in the first place, and then you are an outsider and an insider at the same time. Oh, yeah. Like, tell me about, you know, just that idea of working out who you are so sure. you can develop what it is that you want to say. Sure. I mean, inside baseball here, I actually, when I moved to America, I felt I was already changing my comedic voice. So landing there was like, oh, it's complete. I, I didn't know I was lost for like at least a year and a half because I think my comedy was maturing, hopefully. And then also I was in another country. 
Um, but when I first got there, it was, I, I did my first bit, uh, my first segment. I was so excited to do the first segment. It was about um, virtual reality. And I went on the Daily Show subreddit to look at the, oh, that was a mistake. And I never went back. I've never seen the Daily Show subreddit since. Because people were just you know, angrily hating. Like, and the thing they were hating about was um, this guy is uh, uh, still being a stereotypical, it was Asian Americans who didn't like it. They were like, this guy's making us look bad. You know, he's, why does he have to put on the accent? Why does he, and I didn't even make any real Asian jokes in the thing. I, I'm pretty sure I didn't, yeah, in, any, in the whole piece. But it was inescapable, the accent, the, so it was like, oh, I'm making them look bad now. Like the Asian Americans were like, yeah, this guy, we're not all foreigners. Why, why do they have to hire a foreign Asian? Why can't he just be American? Why can't he be Asian but American? Why, why does he have to be like this, you know? How do you go receiving feedback? Are you a sort of person who has in the past like looked for it? Do you read reviews? Do you read under like you know the YouTube comments? Oh yeah, oh, like, love, love reviewers, man. They're the best, the most talented people. I think. <laughs> I think they are so talented to just instead of creating things, just comment on other people's creation as a living without putting their neck out to do anything. That's really the best job of all. In fact, we should all salute these brave people every day. Yeah, putting their necks on the line to comment on other people's creations. People, people who sweat blood and tears to make stuff, to do stuff. To, that's to, a review of yeah, that's right. review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All you have to do the comment now is you don't even need your neck muscles to review. You just, there, there, there. You can press it with your balls. Just there, there. Three stars. It's so easy to rate now. Three stars. There. Yeah, reviewers, man. I love reviewers. The best people out there. They're the best. Why, why try to put yourself out there to do something awesome when you can just sit on your fat ass and watch other people attempt it? and then just criticize when they fail, or you know, give them kudos when they succeed. Yeah, it's the best job. I would love to be that. If I could restart my life, I would be a reviewer. It's the <laughs> best, it would be best. I mean, on the transcript, <laughs> on the transcript, it'll read fine. That's, <laughs> you know what the good news is? Literally uh, yesterday or the day before, like my management were like, because this has been sold out for ages. And yeah, I know. They were like, um, hey, uh, there's a reviewer who would like to come and review oh, the really? show. And I said, no, thank fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I go into a whole bit on in the end more, so. And I say no reviewers. I'm like, I don't use your stars. I'm not going to use your goddamn quotes. I don't want, I've had, look, man, I've had good reviews. I've had bad reviews. Everyone's like, you, some, it sounds like everyone's like, oh, you must have had a lot of trauma with reviewers. And yes, I have, right? But I've had good reviews, I've had bad reviews. I just, I just don't get this idea that people were trying to do stuff and then they're just coming in and just bleh, bleh, two stars, bleh, bleh, three stars. No concept of the work it takes to make it. But in general. And that's my perspective. But aren't we in a world now where everything is reviewed? Like, I mean, like you were saying before, like, you know, you take an Uber here, you review it immediately, yeah, you go you to rate, a restaurant, rating, people rate it. it. But I mean, but that's what they no. do, right? No, it's fair. They, they review it and we are in this society where we are constantly being asked by everything. Stay sure. on the call, answer three questions. Give us feedback on what we did sure. right now. You can't rent a car or sure. use the bank or sure. go to a restaurant or any of these sort of things sure. without them asking you immediately, can you give us feedback on this thing? Do you believe we have become, 
Like, I mean, it seems like this is the new economy, right? That everything is rateable immediately. Sure. Um, I think it's different to rate a car ride <laughs> that took like 15 minute car ride to go, oh uh, yeah, this guy's a four star. By the way, I don't even know how you can get less than five stars. If you shut up and get from A to B, that's five, right? Oh, get oh, oh my God. Like when I saw my like rating, like yeah. one of the Uber people, <laughs> like and it was less than five, I was like, I have never given less than five. The driver could literally shit, put it in the side seat, yeah. and I'd be like, fuck it, five stars, five yeah. stars. The things this guy has to do to not right. get five stars is unbelievable. How am I not five stars? Anyway. So yeah, reviewers suck is really the point of that, that we shouldn't be. No, but uh, I, think, I think that's the difference between someone, you know, athletes trying to, working hard every day and, and training hard and then people just criticizing their abilities and, and um, cry, you know, people making, trying to create something and a 10 minute car ride. Like okay, it's, well, it's but, okay, but tell me this then. Then how do you get feedback? Because everybody needs feedback, right? Everybody needs... No, I don't need feedback. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. No, okay, here's, here's, here's the answer question. To get feedback, you get feedback from people who are qualified to give it. I'm not going to listen to fucking the IT guy from the Brisbane Times and what he thinks about comedy, okay? I'm going to go ask Will Anderson, hey, what do you think about this? He's been through the trenches, he knows. What do you think about this? He'll give actual, usable advice, you know? I don't want to hear from amateurs about people trying to do stuff, anyway. How are you at giving advice? Like if someone comes to you and says, hey Ronnie, like, you know, I've admired what you do. Like, yeah, people come to you, that's different, right? If people ask you, hey, what do you think about this? What's your lay person opinion on this? Then yeah, you go, yeah, okay, maybe this. And, and I, always, I always hedge it. I'm always like, look, I don't know anything about uh, ballet, but uh, you probably could have uh, jumped a bit higher on that. <laughs> look, I mean, you asked me, I just, I'm not trying to get into a thing here, I'm just, you, uh, to be honest, I thought you could have landed that, uh, that a little better. Uh, I imagine walking into an environment like The Daily Show, and not just The Daily Show, The yeah. Comedy Cellar in New York, yeah. for example, you're amongst the greatest comedians in the world, like in the finest minds in the world and people who've been doing these sort of jobs for years, sure. right? <laughs> or not exclusively. A lot of crazy people too, but yeah. A lot of yeah. crazy people too, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean... But you are also uh, alongside some of the greatest <laughs> people who've you know, done these jobs. Okay. How is that environment? How do you find oh. yourself in an environment where you suddenly are, you know, coming on after Amy Schumer or Dave okay. Chappelle? Or Madonna. One is? time, I had to. I got bumped by Madonna one time. Hang on, what? Yeah, Madonna <laughs> came and did a set at the cellar, and I had to. It was my spot, and she took my spot. Mad hang on. Yeah. What? You yeah. Madonna. Madonna. Yes. The, Mad the Madonna. The Madonna. Yeah. Not the... Not the Madonna, yeah, but, but like, yeah. I mean, what a fucking miracle. But I, I mean, later on, if she's back, later on, she's got 15. She's been thinking what if, about it. What if Madonna got... What if she, what Any Jews in? I am... Uh... Imagine Madonna coming on and bombing. How disappointing is that? The hype behind it. That's Madonna, oh my God. So, oh. hang on. So you were side stage and you were about to go on and then yeah. like, um, Ronnie, we're going to have to bump you because... Yeah. Uh, Madonna. Yeah, Madonna came. The, is on. Yeah. And so, because she did like a spoken word comedy thing, didn't she? Like, she did with. She actually did a double act with Amy Schumer. So she came on oh. with Amy Schumer. So it was Madonna and Amy Schumer. Yeah, yeah. And before that was Louis. Before that was John Stewart. So yeah. hang on. And so then before that was Aziz, and then before that was Pete Holmes. But so Pete Holmes, Aziz. John Stewart. John Stewart. Louis. Louis. Amy. And, and then Amy Schumer doing a duet with Madonna. Yes. That was a very crazy show. Yes. I love how, like, literally two minutes ago, I said you hang out with some famous people, <laughs> and you're like, no, I'm mostly crazy. I, uh... Yeah, 
So you're standing side stage waiting to go. Did you actually get on? Did you have to follow no. Madonna and no, Amy? I did Schiffer not follow Madonna. No? I did okay. not follow Madonna. She actually did pretty well, which was actually kind of frustrating that she could just walk on and it was great. Yeah. What sort of material was Madonna doing? I mean, she is the material girl, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. We'll just give oh, the fucking audience. you make up your own jokes that quickly about Madonna. Are these things on? So I. Uh... We'll, we'll just give the audience the middle finger. <laughs> Um, yeah, she just talked about being famous and yeah. being Madonna, and it was like uniquely, it was unique material. It wasn't hacky Madonna right. stuff. It was very unique personal experiences. And Amy Schumer like guided guided her through it, and everyone was losing their minds. Yeah, it was great. It was a great night. It's a Tuesday. It wasn't generic Madonna material. Yeah. Knock knock. Who's there? My bra just hit the door. I am. Um... Yeah. Pretty good Madonna joke. Anyway, I so fuck you, Roddy. So fuck you're you, so Roddy. Old. You're so old. I know. That's my only Madonna reference. Was a spiky bra. Yeah. Fifteen years ago. I don't know. Is uh, there new Madonna stuff? What's her newer stuff? What's the newer stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the peak uh, Madonna. Uh, okay, so when you're in an environment like that, are you? When you're in an environment like that, what do you do? What? No, I, I like the idea. I, I mean, are you friendly with? You know, yeah. Louis and Amy and like people like no, that. Well, Does it become its own? Because I mean, the comedy community in Australia. Yes. You are backstage constantly, and this is the great thing about it. I remember being a young comedian, and one of the greatest things in the world was that I suddenly would find myself backstage with Greg Fleet or Judith Lucy or Anthony Morgan, all these people that I just, yeah, grown up, yeah. you know, yeah. admiring. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly, you know, so is it the same sort of environment yeah, of there for you? No, I mean, I'm getting it right now. Even just being here with you, it's like, I, I got to play like, I got to play cool the whole time. In the back of my head, I'm like, ah! But the whole time, you just got to be like, yeah, Will, you want to talk about how I write comedy? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, it's him at the cellar. When these people come in, like, you're expected to stay professional and don't take selfies. And, that, and there's also like an element of like, let's not, you know, let's not borrow someone's fame to like enhance your own, let's just have a moment here, you know, and sit down. So there's a little bit of that as well, which is my, my philosophy, run, run off a little on that. I'm very bad at pronouncing things as well. It's another deficit in my act, pronunciation issues. Um, yeah, like just stay in a moment and be, you know, and, and I, I don't know, it's weird with that we are in a job that requires self-promotion and I, I don't know, I, you seem like a pretty naturally kind of, you know, down-to-earth guy, but that, it's probably a job to be like, I'm the best, you have to come, else who's going to come watch you? If you don't promote yourself, who's going to come watch your show? So you have to be like, yeah, I'm really good at comedy, but really in your head you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm still learning how to do it. I mean, comedy's a hard one to promote, like sometimes people will get mad at you, like telling about like the fact that you've got shows on online or whatever. And like, I mean, people do. But I do think that you, like, I hope that what you are making, yeah. like when you start to make something, yeah. you hope it will be worth people seeing, yeah. right? But you, you know. You hope that it will, no, but you hope that it will be, right? Mm -hmm. And then you want to tell people to come and see it if you worked hard at it, like, sure. I don't think there's any shame in that. But there is, it's awkward for us because yeah. our natural position is not to is like insecure about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and, and that's interesting, America versus Australia as well. I mean, I think Australia... Well, how do you find that? Yeah, uh, uh, Australia, very much down to earth, right? We like people who win but don't try. Like, you, don't try. <laughs> don't try. If you try, fuck you. But you win. We love winners, but you gotta not try winning. That's, yeah. why, that's why Bradbury, Bradbury's the champ, right? He won a lot of times. That's why even Paul Hogan. Paul Hogan was the guy on the bridge. 
He was the guy on the bridge who was drilling stuff in the bridge. One day they interviewed him. He's like, hey, what do you think about this? He was like, I don't know. And they was like, oh my god, this guy's funny. You should do a comedy show. He was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll do a comedy show. And fucking kills it. He's just without trying. You just got to win without trying. And so America's different, right? America's like... So um, we've got so many things to talk about, and I didn't bring a watch out here. Can you tell me what time it is, mate, mate down the front? It's still early. No, just tell me, because Ronnie has a show to do as well. So just tell... 4.15. Oh, 4.15. 15. 15. Oh, okay. That's right. We've still got some time, right? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. What time do you have to be done by? Oh, Tell what? me what time I you have to be done by. I don't even know. What time is the show? Six? <laughs> is it six? My, my show's at six. Okay. So. All right. So we've got like another... Can we have another half an hour? Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So... Is that right, Kat? <laughs> I don't even know. That's how dependent I am on my handlers. I can't even... What am I supposed to do now? Well, there's a lot of other things I want to talk to you about. I've talked to you about comedy yeah. a lot just because yeah. I'm excited about comedy, but there's a bunch of other things I'd like to talk to you about if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Um, you got married this year. You don't have to tell me anything that you don't want to tell me. Okay. But, we um, had passionate sex that night. Yeah. Well, you got Twi- married three Twi- times, though, right? Yeah, I got married three times to the same woman. Yeah, it's my... Good to point that last bit out. <laughs> Got married three times to the same woman. Don't so worry. why did you get married three times? Uh, it was my marriage equality protest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got married three times because I'm more scared of my mom than gay people. It's really what I said. <laughs> she wanted, she wanted, so if you're, okay. So her fam, my wife's family's from Melbourne, Australia. So we had to get married in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. Then we got married in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, even though I'm not from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, but who cares what the groom wants, right? Um, <laughs> who knows about Malaysia, just whatever the landmark is, nobody cares. Um, and then we had to get married in uh, New York for visa purposes. So, <laughs> so three very romantic weddings. I mean, that's a, such a comedian's wedding. You've got the ruler three and the last one's the funny one. But I... Uh... And we actually had a great time at all three of them because we, I, I took the, the time to get like a photographer and we, we, uh, we, we had a great time at all three of them, yeah. Can I ask you about, and again, I, 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 this podcast is certainly not, and certainly not in front of people about giving away anything that you're not comfortable talking about. Okay. I, I'm not going to ask like anything too rude. I just, like I want to say Anal, that yes or no, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you have three honeymoon nights, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> By the third one, you're like, nah, it's for visa purposes. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> Bloody immigrants always coming in the back way. So I, uh... <laughs> I would not make that sort of joke if it was just the two of us alone, but I'm a crowd pleaser, Ronnie, right? <laughs> but... <laughs> no, I, I, want to, I want to talk to you about the idea of like love and relationships was it something that was always important to you like were you a romantic person was like love a important thing to oh, you oh man my wife is here yeah yeah it's yeah, a good it time is. to say good things yeah yeah it is i guess yeah <laughs> yeah it's great um uh yeah i guess i i don't know i just i just found someone and then you don't want to look anymore She's gonna kill me. She's gonna kill me. No, of course I. No, of course that I. That was it. Actually, his wedding vows. <laughs> After the first wedding, she was like, "Can you change that?" He's like, "Nah, I'm sticking with it. I'm doing it. It's killing." No, you, of course you love someone. Yeah, you love someone, and you you decide. But were to marry you a person? Them. I want to know yeah. more about what love meant to you before 
you found her? Oh, were you a person who was looking for love? Were you a person who felt like love was something that was really important to you? Were you a romantic revealing. person? This is very revealing. I've never spoken about this. I'm kind of known as the stoic guy, so I can't really... It's really off-brand for me to talk about. Well, you don't have to. You can... Yeah. You can okay, uh, yeah, I was, a, I, was, I was a hopeless romantic. I always uh, kept falling in love with people who didn't love me back, and then... Um, uh, yeah, I always tried too hard to... I would get fixated on, on girls I liked. I would have crushes, and crushes. these crushes were like spanned oceans. Like, I would, I would fall in love with like people in Singapore, and then I'd be in Australia, and I'd have to go back and totally embarrass myself, and then come back to Australia. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I had a lot of um, missteps with, with love, yeah. But I always felt too hard, too strong. Did you know, like, was there a time where you just went, this is the person that I want to marry three times? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, when, yeah, when, when she, we, you know, we, we broke up once for two years, and then we got back together. And then the second time we got back together was like, all right, now all the cards on the table, you know. You know all the shit. I know all the shit. If we get back together, we, you know, it's 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 better now. It's funny, isn't it? Because yeah. like sometimes I hear people talk about when it comes to romance that idea yeah. that if you break up with somebody, yeah. like if it's over, it should be over for forever. But yeah. I'm a person who has certainly gone the opposite direction in that, and I do think there is something amazingly liberating and wonderful about the idea that a that other person knows all the terrible things about, and, yeah. but not only do they know the terrible things about you, but you know that they've thought all the terrible things about yeah. you, because when you break up with someone, yeah. that other person has thought, they've just gone through the memory <laughs> of shit that they thought was nice about you and turned it around into terrible, and yeah. if you've made it back together after that, I think there's something really I think so, yeah, hopefully you come back stronger, or you, you know, or it's a, a abusive relationship and you have to, you know, you couldn't let go of each other. Right, you well, we'll do another podcast in 10 yeah. years and we'll see how it turned out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I meant toxic, not abusive, yeah. sorry. Are, you, are you a person who, do you want kids? Are you, like, thinking that you... Dude, you're killing me right now. My wife is right here. I don't know what, like... Oh, these are her so questions. Sorry, I'm, I've run out of my own questions. She gave me five backstage. <laughs> no, the I last one is, way. can you stop doing that anal bit? <laughs> I, uh, well, you mean the bit or in real life? <laughs> we went there. That's the, that's the, when you meant, you, you normally can edit stuff out, but now you can't. Oh, I can edit it out of the podcast, <laughs> but I cannot edit it out of her mind. I thought you were gonna say something else. <laughs> um, yeah, the, yeah, no, I love my wife, she's great. That's why I married her, she's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, kids, is, uh, it always seems five years away, because right. I was, I was running, so in New York, I, I, I do a daily show in a day, then at night I do stand-up shows. I, I book in as many shows as I can, you know, three, four shows a night. And sometimes I'm, at, I'm going home at 1 a.m. on a train, and I'm like, oh, if I had a kid, it'd be dead now. Because <laughs> I haven't thought about it, I haven't, had no, I'm, I'm totally in this for me, so maybe I shouldn't have a kid, because, yeah, it would have ended badly if I had a baby. I mean, I feel like if you had a kid, you wouldn't have booked that 1 a.m. slot. <laughs> I don't but know. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, what's well, not th something that you're thinking about right now? What yeah. do you think about in your future then? So, if you're not like, I mean, what is it that you think you might be doing one, two, three, four, five years yeah. from now? I don't know. I mean, I think the point of what I've been saying this whole time was um, uh, I really had to adopt this samurai mentality when it came to doing this job. You know, not worrying about the five-year plan, not worrying about, and that's programming that I really had to deprogram for myself. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I kind of stopped thinking about the future right now. I'm just kind of making cool stuff in the moment, just trying to 
keep it going until someone says, get the fuck out, and then I'll go back to Malaysia and die. <laughs> so, Malaysia, um, Malaysia is a good place to die. It's very cheap. It's very cheap to die. <laughs> Ronnie is the new face of Malaysian tourism. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> Malaysia, it's cheap to die. <laughs> Just trying to bring some drugs in. I'll do it for you. But, uh, So I guess my exit strategy is Malaysia, yeah. That's mine. So, uh, well, I'm, I'm interested in that, though, because... Uh, that some I just call my home country an exit strategy? <laughs> it's a third choice? Fuck. Mate, fuck it. I that's, what, that's what I call the family farm. <laughs> they can bury me under the cows. I think we're becoming more global, though. You know, I don't think of it... The world is, yeah. you mean? I mean, I... Do I, you think it is? Because I, here's the thing about America. Like, I've spent, like, half... 25 years there, yeah. Half of the last eight years. So I've spent about four whole years, but I do a half a year there, half the year. And I've spent more time back here recently because I suddenly realised that living half a life in one place or the other was you were living no life in either of the two places. I right. think you have to be a bit nine or three. Like in the, the movie with the Hugh Jackman and the Christian Bale. Wolverine. No. <laughs> the magic one. Logan. No. The magic one. Yeah, the prestige. The prestige. No, don't fucking correct me on a Nolan movie front row. <laughs> I knew I was just pretending for comedic purposes, but... <laughs> the Prestige, yeah. You can't be Christian Bale. You gotta right. be one or the other. You gotta kill the other, your twin, yeah. yeah. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> but, um... I'm gonna leave the stuff in about anal, but I'm cutting out the fucking Prestige spoilers. <laughs> I, uh... yeah. yeah, you're living half a life, you and then. Right, you're living half a life. You want one or the other, and to me... America at the moment, so this is what I want to ask you about. America at the moment, I felt like I had less relevant things to say because it feels like they're involved in a war against themselves. Like America <laughs> is two things. They're a couple who are fighting every time you go out to dinner with them and you realise you can't fix their problems. They need to fix their problems before you can hang out with them again. And that's how I feel a bit about my experience in America. It, How do you feel? I, I, I kind of agree, um, but one thing, just on your point of that, is that it's that way by design. It was designed that way. The system of government was designed that way. It, the system of government was designed to be slow, ineffective, and constantly fighting against itself to prevent someone from taking over and abusing it. And so you get a lot of freedoms, like the iPhone. You get the freedom to create an iPhone. You also get Donald Trump. So if you want iPhone 10, you've got to accept that Donald Trump might write. Like, so my, my point is that the, the, all this stuff that we don't like about it, because we're not from there, is stuff that is actually what they are about. And it's so cliche to say, but you've got to take the good, the bad in that country. Um, um, so the inefficiencies they're talking about, the fighting, the constant fighting, was they, they programmed that into the Constitution. The division, the separation of powers makes it very hard for anyone to efficiently get shit done. You know? Like, like, um, uh, it's fascinating that perspective yeah. because I think that's a really unique perspective. Right. Tell me what it is you think about Australia from the perspective of somebody who has been right. both in us yeah. and one of us, like in a lot right. of re your pivotal moments of your life, sure. but you're also not from here and yeah. you've also gone away and then you've got an external perspective yeah. to Australia. What's your sense of what I, this I, country I, is? What is its strengths and limitations? Yeah, I think it's... it's you know, it's, it's such a great country and I think it's hard for people to see it because they haven't lived elsewhere sometimes. That like, 
the differences between left and right here, okay, they're, they're pretty great, like it's huge differences, but like sometimes elections, it's like you, there's nothing much to complain about. Like life here is pretty good, the wages are very high. People, okay, the, the stereotype of like the fat, lazy American is like, no man, if you go to America, most people are working like three jobs. Like they're a nurse and then an Uber and then they're doing something else. Like here people can make a good living doing things. You don't have to tip, oh my God. We don't have to tip, the price is what it is. Right? We um, would prefer if you leave a tip if you enjoyed <laughs> the show, though. So just yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it's very high standard of living here, and there's not much to really be angry about. When I mean, I, I think sometimes that is the case, right? Yeah. We, 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 we find these tiny things to be angry yeah. about because our standard of living yeah. is so high here. Yeah. That Obviously, there's huge issues, like the Manus right. Island stuff and the, you know, all these other there's important issues, but I'm just saying, sometimes the little nitty gritty, it's like, what was that thing? I remember, maybe I'm ignorant in this, uh, making a joke about this, but that, that guy who gave the carbon tax, this big deal about the carbon, what was the tax that they gave back, they refunded the tax, and it ended up being like $100 a household? Ah, uh, Kevin Rudd. Yeah, what was that, that thing they gave back to people? It's like, we're gonna repeal the shit. Uh, we're gonna repeal uh, this tax, and it became like 100 bucks a household. And I was like, are you serious? All that was over a hundred dollars a household. You can't even buy, you can't buy anything for hundred bucks. You can't even come to watch my show for hundred bucks. That's how. It is. Can't say you. How much does your ticket cost <laughs> for a show tonight? You know, with, with what does it cost tonight? What does it cost tonight to see your show? What does it cost? I came from a long way away. What does it cost to see your show? It's going to me, how all right? Ticketmaster takes a cut. How much does it cost? It's like fifty bucks. But then if you get two, you can't. I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. You're fucking undermining me. I just wanted to make sure you weren't charging more than me. Yeah. But I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that stuff, I'm a bit like, come on, man. The, the environment is worth more than $100 a household. Give me right. a break. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, well, so, uh, Ronnie, I've got a couple more questions. I know that we have to go. Yeah. You've got uh, two shows I got, tonight? I got Are you two doing shows two? tonight, yeah. How do you go when you do two shows? I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Are you like. I love this guy's trying to sneak out. It's okay, it's fine. It's a podcast, mate. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's okay. We've gone longer. You've got your money's worth. You can fuck off. It's like... He might need to go to the toilet. He yeah. might be coming back. I needed to go to the toilet. If we go for much longer, I'm yeah. going to be glad I'm wearing black pants. But I am... Um, yeah. Uh, Melbourne, Melbourne trains you okay. to do... Uh, one show a night for like a month, Melbourne Comedy Festival. You're doing, you know, it builds up a real marathon muscle with comedy. So, so um, Ronnie, I want to talk to you about so many things, but uh, uh, I, we need to finish up, and I always talk about a couple of things before we finish. Yeah. Um, what do you think happens when you die? Nothing. I think you just die, and then it's black, and then that's it. Pretty much everyone I have on says that. Yeah. But I... Um, uh, was that something that you always thought? No, no. I used to, yeah. I used to b believe in something else. What did you believe in? No, I, I watched too much Christopher Hitchens and now it's <laughs> over. Yeah. Uh, you used to believe that women... No, I used to have, like, like, religion... <laughs> no, I used to be the, you know, um, the religious... The traditional thing. religious sort of... Yeah, idea. I think uh, for some reason my family is traditionally Buddhist Taoist in Malaysia. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I know. Questions, don't worry about it. It's the, you, when you burn joss sticks, Incent, yeah, don't worry about it. Okay, so we got that stuff. In Malaysia, it's very common, but it's, yeah, I know. I mean, I've lived with a lot of stoners, it's pretty common. <laughs> yeah, it's an incense, you get your in best incense <laughs> at the fucking weed store. That's yeah. how it works. And then, um, for some reason, my, my, my mom would read us the Bible when I was a kid. For no reason, she wasn't Christian, she just read the Bible. And then, I, and then you started getting, uh, you know, programmed by that. 
you start thinking about all this stuff and anyway yeah so so when did you decide that that was not for you yeah in high school then i went to university and and i tried to um date christian girls and never worked out and that was what turned me against christianity <laughs> yeah it was a lot of uh it, it was weird it was like when you would date a christian girl at, at, at in in university if they were asian from overseas man you would date them and suddenly this whole organization would come and be like no, literally, they'll be like, are you Christian? We hear you're dating this girl. Are you Christian? Maybe you should come and join us on Sundays. Just to, and I was just like, I don't want this, you know, I didn't want this. Yeah, I was like, fuck that. And then I, yeah. And also, she didn't like me, which also helped. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so, with the idea that you don't think that anything happens when we die, yeah. what do you think that life what is the reason for it? How did it happen? Oh, there's no reason for it. It's an accident. Okay, but if it yeah. is an accident... Yeah. Oh, by the way, anyone who's listened to this before knows this is exactly what I thought. Sure. But I guess please devil's is, advocate. Yeah. Well, no, but I guess this is why I oh, started the podcast in the first place. Yeah. Because I think that the, the reason this podcast exists yeah. is this question. I believe that we are an accident in the corner of the universe, and then when we die, yeah. we're done yeah. forever. So, if that is true, then why is what we have <laughs> this? Why... Does it have so much meaning? Why, if we are just a fucking random accident of evolution, does the fact that you and I on this stage talking to these people have some actual fucking meaning? Because it shouldn't. It should mean fucking nothing. And so, what I do think you think? It, I think it does. So anyway, could you solve that for us? Yeah. And then, then it'll be worse Jesus doing this world, fucking show live. And leave the harp on. Uh, no, it means nothing. Nothing means anything. Um, that's really the answer to that. I think what we feel... So then how do you give things meaning? Yeah, well, what we feel right now is emotions. Hopefully we've had a good time. We've learned some stuff about how to deal with issues in our life because unhappiness is a real thing, right? And so, for you, so because unhappiness is real, we're trying to alleviate that. So I think life is trying to alleviate unhappiness, right? It's very Buddhist. You know, everything's always changing. Nothing means anything. So, I don't know, man. I, like... I'm sorry, I wish I had a pithy joke here. You don't need to, I just like to know. Yeah. How do you, when you get up and you give your wife meaning, you give your job meaning, you put Through your anal, jokes yeah. meaning? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did not realise that was going to be the answer <laughs> to this question. Through, like, through human connections, right? That's what, that's what it is, right? I mean, that's the cliched answer. That's what people tell me I'm supposed to say. Uh, no, but I don't is know. that I mean, what you think? Yeah, I think so. That's what we feel right now, right? We, we only feel emotions in the present. Like staying in the present, what emotions we're feeling right now is real. And so you have to try to make sure those are pleasant emotions and not unhappy emotions. And we get that through like helping other people. Some, pe some people who aren't psychos actually get joy from helping other people. Um, some of us get joy from solving problems, right? Or, or creating stuff. What gives some you fucking joy? assholes get joy from reviewing other people for some reason. <laughs> What's your joy? What's your happiest place? When you're at your, like if you say, yeah. I can only do one more thing. Yeah. I've got like a day left yeah. and I want to do something. What is that something? Yeah, I, Will, I'm sorry, man. I think you caught me at a very nihilistic period of my life where I'm just like nothing okay. is anything. But, but maybe, I like maybe, to think of it as a willalistic. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm always about the branding. Yeah. Maybe in 30 years when I'm your age, I'll have a different perspective. <laughs> Um, right now, it's a bit like, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, so you find meaning by doing cool stuff, right? By doing, by living in the moment, doing cool stuff, right? Making cool stuff, making other people laugh. That's why we do this. We're very lucky 
to be in a job that doesn't hurt other people. I think everyone else has do, is doing something that's like associated with something that's doing something horrible, but we get to just call them out by um, making people laugh, right? I don't know, that's pretty fun. I've had a good time. That, that's why I said, uh, back to my first answer to you, was I had a very clear moment of clarity on stage uh, at the cellar when I was performing. I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be happy. It's awesome, yeah, just stay in the moment. And yeah, it's very rare, very fleeting to try to capture that. Also, when I married my wife, I also had that feeling. Yeah. yeah, she's great. I'm so, I'm so, Will, I'm sorry, man. I, I wish I had a, I could solve your, but you have more years on me. You have a better answer to this. Than, again, another. I have no answers. Well, otherwise, I would not have started this podcast. <laughs> right. Sorry, uh, okay. Uh, last but not least, um, I guess if people could remember something about you, like if it got to the end of your life and. You know, people look back and they go, this is what Ronnie was about, or this is what we think Ronnie was about. Yeah. What would that be for you? Yeah, he tried his best. That's what I, just, he tried his best. He tried. <laughs> I think that would be, that's what I want on the, he yeah. tried. I fucking love it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Ronnie Chang. Yeah, thank you so much for coming out to this very first I hope you had a good time. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.